Okay. Good morning. Right. While the children are registered and loads of adults are out of the room, I'll just introduce myself. That'll give them a few minutes to come back. My name's Jonathan. There are people in the room that are new faces to me, and there's some I haven't spoken to for a while, so hello. Um, I'm married to Georgina. The two of us look, look after life groups here. We've been with Real Life Church since its beginning. We don't work for the church. We have jobs independent within the city. This is very much something that we do out of our to sort of walk with God and our commitment to him and to Stuart and Melanie. We have a little 18-month-old girl as well called Isa who's running around, probably being a bit of a distraction. So that's a little bit about me and, and our family. Today I'm continuing the Joseph series, looking at chapter 49. We'll have the text on the screen, but if you've got a Bible with you, feel free to turn to that. Uh, right, I'll tell you what, it's a long passage, so I won't let too much time pass by. I'll start reading while the, um, the parents make their way back. Genesis, first book of the Bible, if you're new to it. We're going almost to the very end. There's one more in the series before it all finishes. Uh, so chapter 49. Right, if, God does, if, who, who, if people don't believe God does good things to pe- uh, when he comes into your life, I'm a dyslexic, I never enjoyed reading and I'm about to read out loud to you. Uh, this, by the way, is not props that are fascinating and interesting, they're, they're resources, alright, so I don't want anyone to be waiting there for anything amazing to pop out of there, they're just big books that I'm going to recommend to you. So let's read on, so from verse 1, chapter 49. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you were my firstborn, my might and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. You went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not to their counsel. O my glory, not be joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers, shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion cub from the... For the prey, my son, that you have gone up, he stood, sorry, he stooped down, he crouched as a lion and a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and vestures in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell in, at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good, and that the lamb was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear, and became the servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper in the path, that bites the horse's heels, so that his rider falls backwards. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. 
Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose with let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run all over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him and harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, for there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of our Father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and the womb. The blessings of the Father are, the might, are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey, and in the evening dividing the spoil. All these were the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what the Father said to them as he blessed them, blessings each with the blessings suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my peoples. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre in the land of Cana, which Abraham bought with a field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Made it. Okay. So if you're still with me, let's get into the, let's get into the passage. So while I was reading this through and getting ready for today, the thought of the reading of a will, I don't know if anyone's attended one of these or seen them in the films, but effectively, this is what Israel is doing at this point in time, except for he's still alive. In, in our culture, in our tradition, we do the reading of the will pretty much, well, usually once that person has passed away. Just a little footnote. If you weren't here earlier in the series, Jacob had his name changed to Israel, all right? So I'm going to be talking about Israel today, so please link the two together. If I talk about Jacob, it's, it, it, I mean Israel, all right? So just, bear, just, just keep that, that in your mind. So um, going back to today's culture, if you've, if you've attended one or if you've seen it on the movies, the reading of a will is, is, a, is a decisive plot twist. The deceased person has written in law exactly how they want their estate, their wealth, to be apportioned to those that matter around them. And the reason why it's in the films they use it as a massive plot twist is because there's bound to be someone that moves, misses out that thinks they're entitled to, or someone does receive something, but receives something that's not worthy of what they believe they should have received. The thing is, it's written in law. The person has died, and they have set out exactly how the estate should be ha handled. So arriving at the reading of a will, um, not only are you facing bereavement and, and all that goes along with that, probably a bit of an anxiety and anticipation. How are you deemed in the sight of the person that is now um, handing over the possessions? I, I remember um, when I was a 12-year-old boy, my grandpa passed away, and um, one of the things I received from him 
was, was a, a small signet ring with his initials on it. It was made of brass and it didn't have any monetary value. But I was still chuffed with it. And then I found that, out that my cousin, who was four years old, got my grandpa's telescope. Right? So my, he was keen on, what re, uh, on, on, on stargazing. So I'm there thinking, he's a four-year-old with a really expensive bit of kit. And I've got a little ring with initials on it that I can't do anything with. But actually, on, uh, with, a, with a bit of thinking about it, actually, to my grandpa, who we had a good relationship, we knew one another well, that was a really sentimental thing for him to pass on. Although I couldn't cash it in and get a load of money, and I couldn't see the stars through it, actually that ring was, uh, was of great importance to him, and, I'm, and um, I was blessed to receive it. And, and actually, it's relevant to the story, but I was the oldest grandson, and I am speaking today as the oldest. Now, Stuart made a point a few weeks ago that he's the middle son, all right, so I'm writing this from the I'm approaching today in the perspective of being the oldest. In Israel's culture and at his time, there would very much there were two things that were passed on. One was a birthright, and the birthright for the eldest son was a double portion for anything else that anyone else got. And then there's a second thing, which is a blessing. And that would first of all go to the oldest boy and then to the subsequent sons. And sons were vitally important to the, to the culture in that point, uh, at that time. They were of huge importance to, uh, to pass on an estate and so to grow a family and the lineage. Now, Israel was a bit of a tricky character himself when it came to his own birthright and his own blessing. His mother was expecting twins at the time and he has an older brother called Esau. Well, whilst his mother was expecting the babies and carrying the babies, God spoke to her and said, the youngest son will be master over the oldest. And within the, from these two boys, great nations will, will grow. So um, just to give you a snapshot, although I do encourage you to go away and read it, um, Israel tricks his older brother out of the birthright, so that's the, the material entitlement that Esau had over a bowl of stew. Um, now that's... In keeping, that's in line with God's plan to bless the younger son, Israel, rather than the older son. But that was, he was tricked him out of that through, uh, through wanting a stew. Then his mother comes up at the point where his father, Isaac, is about to die. Same stage as Israel is at now. And um, Isaac says to, his, to the eldest son, go and kill me some game, make me a stew, and I'll come back to me and I'll bless you. Mum finds out, runs over to um, Israel, the youngest boy, says, quick, I want you to get in there, cook that, the favourite stew that your dad enjoys, cloak yourself in sheepskin, pretend to be your older brother, and then run in there and take the blessing. And this, this um, action, you know, in, in many respects a deceitful thing to do, m meant that the younger boy, Israel, ended up with both the possession and the blessing that his older brother was entitled to. Now, all sorts of ramifications of that, and I do encourage you to go and read it. Um, <clears throat> for your own benefit. Um, so now it's Israel's turn to gather his boys together, all 12 of them, and say, this is the blessing which I'm going to pass on to you before I pass away. Right. <clears throat> so, as he... Um, oh, wow, well, I've done that page as well. So, um, we are going on to read the... Read into what exactly the boys got. So we look at if you if you've got chapter forty nine nearby, I'm going to pick out a few things that are important. Now Reuben is the eldest of the boys, so he should get the blessing plus the double portion entitled to him simply because he was the first out of his mum's tummy. All right, nothing else entitles him to that except for that he was number one. And Israel has these words to say about Reuben. <clears throat> 
He starts off in the best way on what people would expect by saying that you're the first fruit of my strength. You're preeminent in dignity and strength. And then it also talks about um, power there as well. Now the preeminent element is saying you're above, you're beyond, you're, you stand head and shoulders above the other boys that are around. You're the one I'm most proud in. And so you think, actually, this guy's on for a winner. This is really lining up quite well. However, Israel then describes him as unstable as water in the very next line. And then by this, he's probably suggesting that although Reuben had moments of excellence, he also had moments of disaster. <coughs> Excuse me. So this, this double um, character that, that Reuben possesses becomes his undoing. And we find out, and we didn't cover it in this series, but whilst Israel was out of the country, Reuben, his oldest, went and slept with one of his concubines. All right? And by this very act, he's defiled his father's um, relationship or his father's status. And in that sense, has swiped out his entitlement to the double portion. He, um, Israel is going straight, rolling it straight over to the next boy. So the next two we've got in line are Simeon and Levi, who are, who are boys number three, uh, two and number three. And so you'd have thought, or I'd have thought, that the, that the blessing just <coughs> defaults to the next lad. Let's, let's see what Israel says about him. Now in this situation, Israel wants nothing to do with these boys because they're a violent, murderous pair. They have a fierce anger and a cruel wrath. And Israel absolutely wants nothing to do with these boys which is quite stark. He's sort of running through the boys quite quickly. One doesn't get it because he's slept with dad's um, concubine. And then the two, the two next are just dangerous boys to be involved with. We then land with Judah, who's the fourth son. I don't know what he was thinking at this point, And if you're at the reading of a will, it's kind of might be looking at your favor as, as you're uh, moving around the table thinking, oh, maybe I'm in for a winner here. But I want to talk about... Judah very quickly. It was covered in our series. There's a, uh, some of the things that Judah's done. We know quite a lot about him. So when the boys plot to kill Joseph, because they're just in f- fury over the blessing that Dad gives him, Reuben suggests that they sell him into slavery. I'm not sure if Judah wanted to make a quick buck or if he's concerned about murder as a as a means of dealing. Um, with um, Joseph's arrogance, or, if, or if both. But what happens is that through, through Judah's decision, God is able to take Joseph into Israel and open up a, the, uh, the plan that he has to, 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 to effectively rise Joseph to the head of the household and then rescue the 12 boys, into, through, um, save them through the famine by bringing them into Egypt. So Reuben is a decisive individual. Can I just, I'm going to have to have a good cough, is that right? I'm just going to mute this. Apologies, guys. So, um, now that's, the, that's one of the, the, the fundamental parts of the story that Reuben is involved with. And then there's something else that we, that we know about Jude, and that's... Judah has, um, by being in the family line, the, the pressure upon him to start a family and to be successful and to grow that family. And he has three boys. And the oldest boy he marries off to Tamar. Now, the, the hus- Tamar's um, husband passes away. He dies. We don't know, necessarily know why. So as is custom, Judah presents his next son to carry out the, the marital duty. But, in this, but, but this son, this boy, 
doesn't want to play ball. He knows that it's his duty, effectively, to get her pregnant and carry on the lineage, lineage of the family. But he takes it into his own act, things into his own action. And Genesis says that he spilt his semen before sleeping with her. So he was actually going out of his way to make sure she didn't get pregnant. God doesn't like this and takes him out, basically kills him. Now, Judah's not privy to all of what God is doing here, but effectively, he's seen two of his firstborns, uh, two of his boys die, and he holds back the third because the boy's too young. But at the time when the boy is old enough, he doesn't present him to Tamar as he should do according to custom. Um, and to really go through the story at very high speed, Tamar is a widow. Judah, the father-in-law, loses his own wife. And after a period of mourning, he goes and uh, tends to his flock and meet one of his friends. All right? And during that journey, Tamar finds out that, 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 that um, Judah's making this journey. She takes off her widow's outfit, puts on a, an attractive outfit or something that would suggest that she may even be a prostitute. She stands in a primary, a, a primary location where she meets um, Judah. The two of them, Judah approaches her and says, will you sleep with me? They negotiate a price, but he can't pay on the day. So she says to him, give me your seal, your rope, and your staff. Then come back to me with your payment, and you will have these in return. Um, the story continues, and um, they, he's not able to make that deal, that transfer. But the community find out she's pregnant. And because Tamar is the daughter-in-law of Judah, it's hit Judah's responsibility to do something about it. And, due to the, and, and according to the custom, he says she should be burnt for her actions of idolatry. Um, so um, having um, issued this decree that she should die, Tamar is able to produce the symbolic items that say, actually, you're the dad of this pregnancy. So God is like working in this um, in, in quite a peculiar way. She then gives birth to twins and then Judah's own lineage continues through that action. Right, so we know that Jude, so I'm, I'm suggesting this because we know that Judah in his own right is not a perfect boy. He's not done things really as you would have expected. What does the passage go on to say? Um, so if we go back to verse 49, it says that straight away the brothers shall praise you. They will bow down to you. This language is, is quite something that people probably weren't expecting of Judah. It's more the language that you would expect um, Israel to, to lavish upon Joseph, but it's landing on, on Judah. So the first thing we see is that authority will come. Your brothers will, will bow down to you. You're a lion. That's, that's sim, that language talks of a power that's going to come to the household of Judah. The scepter will not depart is, is language used further, further into the, the verse. And that talks about kingship. And then the people will be obedient. They'll be subjects under Judah. I don't know what Judah's thinking about all this. Is he rubbing his hands and going, wow, oh, big win for me. Um, I, I expect there probably wasn't childishness going on like that anyway. But um, then if we read on, there's more, for, there's more, in, there's more in store for Judah. Tying the donkey to a vine is language that shows that, there's, that although they're going to labor, they're going to be fruitful. So I would have thought that it's a bit like taking a tractor and filling it with high-performance fuel. All right? It's not the thing you want to do as a farmer. You don't want to put the best um, fuel in your tractor and then go and do all the harvest. But effectively, the donkey was the hard-working animal, and here he's tying it to the vine. Donkeys have a habit of eating everything, I believe. And so, so that seems like a bit of a strange thing to do. 
Carrying on the theme, washing, it talks about washing garments in wine. So there's an abundance of produce here to the point where they're actually using it as a cleaning product. All right? So um, that, that again talks about an overflow and abundance of um, blessing upon them. I, I think about that today. I doubt this would ever, ever happen, maybe with the filthy rich, rich or, or, or lottery winners. But rather than running your central heating on gas, which is a cheap and efficient way of doing it, it's a bit like taking 50-pound notes and chucking them into the boiler and going, well, there's so many of them here, let's just heat the house on this, um, in that fashion. Right. So in, to, to, to draw that point together, of all the brothers that are here, the blessing, the double portion, the, the true blessing go, skips the first three boys and lands on the fourth one. This is completely against custom and what you would have expected of the day. The rest of the... Just, just, to, just to be um, do justice to the passage, the rest of the boys are all pretty mediocre. Joseph, as, as you would expect, does get something special in there from, from, um, from his father. And he goes on to talk about... Israel goes on to talk about how Joseph has suffered, but he's going to be fruitful, and God is going to bless him in a way that, not, that his father has not been blessed. Um, let's have a look at some of the language. Actually, I will read it um, through. So Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough in, by a spring. It, his branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attack him shot at him and harassed him severely. So that's talking about his brothers. Yet, the, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. You can look at that and, and get a sense of actually Joseph was tossed into slavery, into a land he didn't know, at the mercy of people, he, the language he didn't even understand. But God held on to him. Jo Joseph remained faithful of all the brothers. I actually read his life story and think actually this guy was pretty darn committed to this to, to God's work he was yeah yeah he was arrogant he soaked it up and lapped it up but he did the time and God came through um, then reading on in verse uh, 25 by the, but the God of your father who will help you but sorry by the God of the father who will help you by the almighty who will bless you with blessings of, of heaven above blessings of the deep that crouches beneath blessings of the breast and of the womb the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills may they be on your head on the head of joseph and on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers so there is something special about joseph which we've we've it, at this so far in our studies all been about the life of joseph but now actually god is rising up judah quite unexpectedly. It also suggests to me that Israel's had a change of heart as well. So rather than Joseph being number one, he now appreciates all the boys. Or he can see the intricacies of their life and what God is going to do through them. Right. So we might ask a question, um, based on what Judah has done and his own actions and the actions of the other boys, why is it that Judah should, that, that Judah should be the one that wins? He doesn't, Judah doesn't show wisdom when he handles the, the issue with his daughter. He tries to do away with custom and um, forget the fact that she's a widow with no line and family available to her. But God steps in there and through Judah's own lack of restraint, he sleeps with Tamar and the family continues. All right, so God uses that event to ensure 
that the line of Judah will continue. Now that action happened way before this blessing. And the blessing is such that it, it talks about the bloodline being so important that actually Jesus will be born through that bloodline. That's something that we learn as we go further on. There's a hint of it in the language, like the scepter, the talk of kingship and lordship. But actually it hints in this, but as, the old, as time goes through, the Old Testament it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. The sense that Judah will be the, the family line of which the Christ will come. Right, now, I would like to try and take us on a very quick tour of how we get from this passage to Jesus. Okay? All right, so buckle up. Read up. <laughs> All right? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be... Um, it's a very, very uh, exciting but messy read when you, when, um, as, uh, the, uh, between Genesis and then actually... Um, Jesus' own arrival in the gospel. Right, here we go. So the 12 boys, have, there's 72 of them, the Bible records. So they've gone from Abraham, Isaac, so the family's getting slightly larger, slightly larger. Then Jacob, Jacob has, or Israel has the 12 sons. Suddenly, boom, there's a few more within the family. Then there's the 72. And the 72 are now living within Israel. And they're under a slaved, they're an enslaved family, but they are pop. they grow in number and grow in number and grow in number. The Egyptians uh, give them a very, very hard time indeed. They make their life absolutely torturous, but they grow and they grow and they grow in the number. To the point where the Egyptians, uh, sorry, the Israelites actually start to recall the promises of God and say, why are we in this oppression? Get us out, get us out, get us out. Come on, God. Through the Exodus, which is an event by which God frees Israel from the captivity of the Egyptians he takes them into the wilderness and I won't get bogged down in the history there but what happened, let me give you um, if I can do it justice a summary saying that within once freed from the Egyptian captivity the population grows and grows and grows continually now they take over land through God's instructions through God's help they also give God a hard time because they're a, they're a foolish nation they're a bitter nation and they continue to rebel against God, but God, ha- God continues to work his purposes through them. We get to the point where kings are established, and we end up with King David, which is, which, is, which is treated as the pinnacle of this nation, the Israelite nation. They've got land, they've got possessions, they've conquered, um, things have stabilized. God is actually, a, a temple is built for God to dwell in. So everything looks quite good, but this isn't God's primary plan. He wants to bless all nations and to be in relationship with everybody, but Israel doesn't quite fit in with that. Through the nation's own rebellion, through their own evil and humanness, humanity, let's say, they, they start to foul up. They rebel from God, they put idols in place, and the, the nation eventually splits in two. And this is where the prophecy that Israel is speaking is really significant. So the ten, within the, the land mass that they own, the, the nation splits in two. And you've got the northern kingdom made up of ten of the brothers' tribes. And they're called Israel. And then you've got the southern kingdom, which is Judah. The two of the divided. Now Judah has Jerusalem as its, as its um, center, which, is, which was been where the temple is and established as God's most significant place. Now Israel, the northern city, they only last for 200 years within independence. 
they get destroyed effectively. They get, um, they get overrun. And that is the end of that lineage. Ten of the tribes, bang, no longer, no more. If you've heard of the Samaritans within the New Testament, within the Gospels, it's that people group. That, that continue from that northern kingdom. That's probably why there's animosity between Jews and Samaritans. Now, within the southern kingdoms, within Judah at the same point, they also make a right hash of the job, all right, of just about exist. And through God's help, it's almost like they are in intensive care. He just about keeps them going on because they are so hard to work with, they are so rebellious. But God's plan is to keep the bloodline alive and to bless all nations through him. So we then, you can track it through the, through the Old Testament history, God keeps them on the life support machine and then we end up with Mary, Jesus' father. We've gone very, very fast. The people, am I doing all right? Are you keeping with me? All right, so we end up with, we end up with Mary and we're all very, we're all very aware of, the, of, the, of um, the birth of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit causes Mary to get pregnant and she gives birth to the son, right, which is Jesus Christ. That's God's own son, both man and God incarnate. And effectively, the passage, the passage um, which is Israel was, which we've read, where Israel says about raising Judah up to be the king, to be the Lord, to have authority, has been achieved. It's not been achieved in the way that you may have thought about it, because we see, um, as I was saying, that David is the pinnacle, where there is true abundance. The, the Israelite nation is really thriving, but then it all goes wrong. It all corrupts at that point and it's just kept alive until we get to, to Mary and, and Jesus' birth. So God's in control of the situation, he's aware of the situation, but through man's own involvement in this and the way we have a tendency to, to um, fiddle, tamper, negatively impact things, it's achieved in a way that people would never have thought would have happened. Right. Now that is a bit of a rush job, I'm afraid, and I do want to encourage you to go away and, and read more about the history. But God is good to his word. He says that Judah will be established, it will be king and it will have authority, and that I will that he will um, bring his own son into a being through that bloodline. Right. I've got some applications here. Right. I wanted to call this. I gave I gave this a title, and it's strange to give things a title at the end, but um, I want to I want to do that. I want to call it "Don't Panic," but God is in control. We talked a lot about Israel. I talked a lot about Israel's culture and the culture of inheritance. We live in a Western culture at the moment and we, by default, think very much about our lives and um, the, um, there's a lot of consumerism that goes on. There's a lot of um, selfishness and, and, and focus on one's own entitlements um, and whether or not I'm getting what I'm entitled to. It's just the way that we are wired. But I wanted, want to encourage us in the application to step out of that for a moment because that causes a lot of worries, it causes a lot of troubles. And so my application is on three levels. The first thing, uh, the, the three words, think, know and trust. So think, 
beyond your immediate circumstances. That's my encouragement. What I, what I wanted to, suggest, to make clear to you today, and I hope I've done that, is that God has been at work ushering in his kingdom in the way, uh, way before we ever arrived or we came into existence. So by stepping out of our immediate concerns and our immediate worries and getting into his history, we will, I find it very refreshing, I find it very reassuring to know that John Dean is not just going to bring down God's plans, all right? There, yeah, Jeremy's not in. That's good, mate. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, but, but I as an individual, I'm not going to derail or corrupt God's plans. They are in motion. They are something that I cannot prevent. And ultimately, they will end when Christ returns to wrap up this time and he's going to usher in the new kingdom. All right, that's where God is going. So that's the think. The know is that God's plan has not been stopped by our mistakes or evil that's in the world. We can get consumed by... Um, all the, all the bad that's happening. We can come up with loads of reasons for why God is either there and not active or is not there or he just doesn't care. But that's absolutely not the truth. And we, that, those attitudes and those questions float around society. We pick them up every single day that we go about our life. But the antidote to that, the answers to those troubles are found in knowing God and knowing his scripture. So my encouragement is know his story. Get into the Bible and the plans that he has. God is so good to us that he reveals how things are going to happen. That's why he spoke into Judah's life. And he said, this is what's going to happen in your lineage. Judah would have died within a, a couple of generations of this. A couple of, let's say a couple of decades. But actually, the plan that God had continued and continued and continued to today. He's written it down. It won't look exactly as we think, so, but he, he's given heavy suggestions on how things are going to go. That's why it's great for us to look back in the Old Testament, even to the New Testament, and see how things have gone, how the plan has evolved. And then trust. Trust that, that his son, Jesus Christ, has the fulfillment, oh, sorry, is the fulfillment of the promises given by God in the Old Testament. Now, I'd absolutely love to spend a little bit more time over a couple of weeks expounding what those promises are and how they've been fulfilled and the future promises and how they will be fulfilled based on what God has said but I only get today all right um, but God as a body of believers I want to I want us to trust that God is in control that he's working things out according to his own will but amongst us I want to encourage us to share the stories of what God is doing, both ones that we can share from Scripture. So I've been sharing from Scripture. I could also share testimony of what God's doing week by week in my life. And then I can share the prophetic things, encouragements and promises for the future. But as a body, I really want to encourage us to be sharing those through life. All right, Life groups, conversations over coffee, things shared through Facebook, however it is that, we, that you communicate... <coughs> Let's trust God and share the stories about him. I wanted to finish on a, on a, on a very famous scripture. Please don't switch off because the Americans love it especially. All right, but this, I can't find a better way of summing up God's plan. And it's John 3.16. Don't switch off. All right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
All right, why do they drop verse 17? All right, they just focus on the first bit. But anyway, um, I just, I, we, we're going to worship now, but um, well, in, in just a few, in a few, um, in, a, in a moment or two. But life is much more, our, our history precedes Jesus. We talk about him a lot and we do that rightly, but it precedes him. Please get to know that story, his history. Because it's very, it enriches our lives and it helps us day to day. Now, it wouldn't be fair to, 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 to lump all this upon you without giving you some resources. All right? So uh, there's some big books in here, some really big books. But the first one I'm going to recommend to you is the 100-minute Bible. Okay? Now, especially if you're new to the faith or if you're investigating the faith, all right, um, this is really helpful. I actually, took, about two months ago, I sat down and I just said, God, I'm in a bit of a mess. I've got really confused. What shall I do about it? And I was just take, I just found this out of the dusted it off from one of the books, and I went through. And it will take you through the Bible, God's big vision, His big plans in a really succinct way. Right, and I just did one page per night, and you can find out about Abraham, Jacob, and his family, Moses, right through to the Psalms, and that is a really good starting point. Or for me, I just had to get back to the to the roots. And I'd spent a bit of time in that and found it really, really helpful. The next one, and I have to credit this guy loads because um, it's called God's Big Picture and it's Vaughan Roberts. And I've used this book so much. Very, very helpful book. And this guy is basically building on the 100-minute Bible, but he's actually giving you a bit more meat, a bit more context. And I, I come and see him at the end, but it's, it's Vaughan Roberts, God's Big Picture. And it's a practical book. It's got exercises. It's got graphs. Um, and I've... <laughs> it's a, I'm a geography. I did geography degree. I love maps and maps and graphs and boxes and stuff like that. Because if you're a visual person, being shown a bit of text and then trying to get that into your brain is quite difficult. But when Vaughan has just gone, got his ruler out and his and his, um, it's just it's just wicked. Get into that. Um, when I, when we prepare for these preaches, Stuart gets us a commentary. All right. So I've read about one page of this. No, 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 not at all. Um, I always start by reading, reading the word, praying over it, and then I start to get into the commentaries and say, actually, God, take it a bit deeper. There are people who have spent their life, their careers, where God has spoken to them, and they've put vast amounts of work into um, their study, and we should be enriching our lives through what they do. I very rarely read this on its own, because it's, a hard, it's hard to get the magnitude, the breadth of time that God is talking about. But something especially like Vaughan Roberts' book is so helpful for guiding us through. And then the last one um, is, um, we've got a Bible commentary on our bookshelf, and it's very helpful. So within any part of the Bible, I, if, I, if I can't get my head around um, an element of it, I can go to this. It's a quick guide, and it gives me, again, an extra layer of depth, context as to what's happening. All right? So, um, but... If, if anything, these two are wicked, and I've read them all, paid back cover to cover. Um, yeah, it'll take a few more years for that one. Okay, right. Um, Dave, where are you? Do you want to come up? And I'd, I'm, I'm going to wrap up with some prayer, and we'll get into a time of worship. If people have questions for me afterwards, please come and find me. Um, should we take it, stand to our feet? If, if, you, if you can, thanks. Right. Well, just to begin with, mighty God, uh, 
We, just, we, we want to come before you. We want to come before you. Yeah. Lord, I've done my best to convey that actually for centuries, for, for millennia, you've been at work. You've been at work sorting out what went wrong with, with Adam and Eve. And we are blessed at this time in, 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 to, to have lived after Jesus. So really, the searching and the, and the panic over would you fulfill your promise and bring a Messiah has been completed. We can look back at that. And even further than that, we can look at the early church and how it handled um, emerging in, in, the, in the nations and, and across the globe and how the Holy Spirit was poured out, as you promised, upon all people. Thank you, Lord. Lord God, and, and, and I, 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 my, my prayer is that you, you give us um, an appetite for your, for your word and the ability to interpret it and to digest it through the work of your Holy Spirit and through those that, like texts that I was mentioning earlier. But actually, Lord, we, don't, we also know that, that your work isn't complete yet. You're, you're returning. You're returning. And you're going to deal with sin and it's an evil for one final time. It will be banished from your creation. You'll bring in perfection. You'll be king over it. And those that acknowledge you and acknowledge Jesus will will spend an eternity in your presence praising you um, Lord then my prayer just to, just to wrap up is that you'd help us each day step by step walk with you get to know you encourage one another here to to get closer to you and that we pass on this message to the next generation and to those around us so they too may come into a relationship with you Amen